Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow wealth, grow your wealth, and become financially independent. My name is my name is Becco, and my partner Hari. Hello. Awesome. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, this is um, the Value Investor TV podcast. Uh, in this episode, we're going to be talking. We're going to be talking about the L brand. Um, it's a collection of. Um, Pretty well-known brands. Um, it was actually this this company was actually submitted by one of our uh, listeners. So thank you uh, for submitting that request over Twitter. Um, and uh, please do follow us on Twitter. And if you have suggestions like like him, please uh, do send it over via Twitter. Our handle is Value Investor TV, or our email info at valueinvestor.org. Um, so let's uh, start us off, Ari. Why don't you give us a quick disclaimer before you start? Yeah, so you know, this podcast is designed to uh, help educate you in the way that value investors, um, you know, practice their craft. Um, it is for educational purposes only. We don't know your financial situation or uh, have any uh, knowledge of how you know of your finances. So, before making any investment decisions, uh, consult a financial advisor. Excellent. Thank you, Hari. Um, so let's get started. As you saw in the title, L brand. Um, so what is what is what do they do? What do they do, Hari? Yeah. So this is a company that you've probably familiar with, just uh, not with the parent company, but with their their children, uh, you know, uh, child brands. Which is uh, the main one is Victoria's Secrets um, and Bath and Body Works. Uh, so those two companies, um, you know, the uh, if you're not familiar with, uh, you know, Victoria's Secret, it's a uh, women's, uh, you know, uh, lingerie, uh, sleepwear, uh, gifts, uh, and et cetera. Um, and they operate into two uh, different categories within that brand, Victoria's Secret and Pink's. So Victoria's Secret is generally is all women. Pink's is more uh, geared towards college age uh, mm. kids. Um and you know Victoria's Secrets operates 1200 stores uh US Canada and Ireland and China and 400 stores in 70 other countries uh and Bath and Body Works um is a uh you know has has a couple of uh sub brands also White Barn and Bigelow they have 1700 stores US and Canada and 250 in the rest of the world um so you know for a while, L Brands was actually a conglomeration of a lot of different fashion lines. Uh, you know, Express was one of the companies that were on there. Mm. So they've kind of divested themselves of a lot of those um, uh, of those brands over time. And now they are, you know, they're focused purely on the Victoria's Secret Bath and Body Works mm-hmm. um, uh, line. And actually, in the last in 2018, they closed down La Senza and Henri ben- Bendel. I don't even know how to pronounce that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so and you know, like like we've talked about with a lot of these retail companies, we've done this with Canada Goose, Skechers, uh, and so on. Uh, Levi's they have company owned stores uh, and franchise and licensed uh, uh, wholesale agreements. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're going to be selling to somebody else who's then selling their their product, uh, which means when they ship the product is when they re- record revenue for those, and then. In their own store, it's when the customer actually buys it uh, and takes it home that that's, that's their, mm-hmm. uh, or when they ship it um, to the customer is when they, they re- recognize revenue. Right. So you said, you know, obviously, um, there, there are a lot of brands there. So just to summarize, the Victoria's Secret, Pink, a Bath and uh, Body Bath, 
body bath work or bath body work? Uh, so it's bath and body works. Um, and I, I'm going to probably say bed, bath and beyond at least five times. <laughs> it's here. so similar. We'll call it, we'll make it a drinking game. Every time Hari <laughs> mistakes the brand, you guys have a beer. So it's so similar. So anyways, these, you know, L brand is again, like Hari said, it's a, it's a collection of these child brands. Victoria's Secret is the most well known here. Um, and you know, they have pretty, pretty global presence, um, as Hari mentioned, but, one of the things that they are doing, which I found interesting, is they're divesting a lot of the underperforming assets, such as Express, such as a tube that you mentioned earlier. So it's really, um, it's a it's a retail giant that has these small uh, child brands that is well known, but the parent the parent itself is not well known. It's just a it's just a um, it's just an umbrella company. So let's uh, let's uh, let's dive into some of their competitive advantage. So you know as. As a, con- as a conglomerate of uh, retail, uh, clothing retail, and you know, some other stuff, personal consumer products and things like that, what, what kind of competitive advantage do you think they have over others? Um, well, that's the, that's the interesting part of this. As you, know, as you see us go through this process, what you're going to find out is uh, they don't have much of a competitive advantage. <laughs> you know, what we thought was a strong competitive advantage over time mm-hmm. has kind of evaporated with um their their lack of um you know ability to keep their customer coming back to the store Mm. um you know for a while i think victoria's secret had a very powerful you know draw to the customer they would be coming in um you know spending money uh they were doing all these promotional things where you you know you get a postcard in the mail you'd come in get a free you know whatever and then you'd you'd also buy a bunch of other stuff you know and and over time what we're seeing is i think because they're located a lot in the store or in in malls yeah you know the the traffic to the mall has kind of decreased and right. then that has led to a, a lack of uh you know traffic to to their actual stores and that's mm-hmm. led to a decline in sales over the last four or five years so mm-hmm. You know, I think their strongest competitive advantage is still their brand, which is Victoria's Secret. I mean, I think, you know, they still run a fashion show, you know, that's one of the most watched, you know, TV things, events. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they have a lot of credibility, you know, as far as, you know, you think lingerie, that's where, you know, people go uh, is Victoria's Secret. Right. Um, and they have other things like beauty products and fragrances and, and so on. But it's not a... You know, they don't have a monopoly on that, right? You can go and get these things at, you know, the department store. You can get it online, um, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, college-age students are not, you know, they're not going to the mall as much anymore. So that kind of changes their, the dynamic. Yeah. Um, now, they are seeing stronger, you know, uptake in their online sales, which helps, you know, offset, offset. some of this. But yeah. I think what that is, is it's kind of cannibalizing their own market, right? The people who were coming into the store are just buying it online. Mm. You know, on the flip side, Bath and Body Works is actually uh, growing really well. Um, Mm. You know, they have, um, for for those of you who aren't familiar with their things, because, you know, like me, I've never been into a Bath and Body Works. (laughs) Uh, You know, they sell a lot of... um, you know, shower gels, lotions, aromatherapy, mm-hmm. you know, home fragrance, you know, um, lotions, you know, things like that that are kind of, um, you know, you get these at, at uh, you, you'd probably find a lot of this stuff at like Ulta, which we've talked about uh, mm-hmm. before. Um, you know, they have a lot of their own brands in that in that 
uh, mark, you know, in the store. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I when you, we go down that list, though, network effects, switching costs, low cost, moat, intangible assets, they don't really have much other than the brand, right? I think mm-hmm. that's the only thing that gets people um, coming back to the stores on a repeat basis is the brand. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I don't see a whole lot there other than that. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Brand, like you talked about Victoria's Secret as this kind of iconic brand for lingerie. And, uh, you know, obviously, when I was growing up and still now, Victoria's Secret is definitely, is definitely up there. I wonder what the management has to say about the decline. Did then it, did, you know, it's, it was such a, it was such, it is, it is still a very iconic business. Did, any, did, you know, did the management mention anything about the, you know, their explanation for, as to why the, the decline in sales, aside from perhaps what you mentioned uh, about the mall situation? Well, you know, I, I think a couple of things that I was impressed with when we, you know, reading their annual report is they, they were pretty open about saying, you know, these are the metrics that we look to improve upon. Mm. We are underperforming significantly in these areas. Uh, and, you know, they kind of highlighted them and said, you know, we need to grow our business in North America, mm. international is really not much of a driver for them. They're not making a whole lot of money on an operating income basis. Um, and they need to really focus, you know, on fixing their, you know, their problems, right? Mm. That the customer is not, the, the merchandise is not resonating with the customers. Yeah. What I heard a lot of them, you know, say, which is, you know, is frankly is terrifying, right? Like you have a business that is, um, making something and they they are losing touch with their customer yeah now on the flip side bath and body works doesn't seem to have any problems with that they mm-hmm. you know they mentioned that was one of their strengths is that they know their customer very well well what what is what is the problem there with victoria's secret why are they not able to you know kind of uh attract uh, uh, yeah understand their business you know, their customers right customers, so yeah uh, yeah it's so interesting um you know, like the, like you said, the merchandising. It, once you go south on that, it's just down. You know, down a decline from there. Really, I mean, we saw from a few companies that we analyzed. Right, Francesca yep. is one of them that I, that just pops into my mind. If you yep. miss that for several consecutive quarters, it's just you're losing customers at that point, and it's it's very difficult to come back from that. Yeah, and I think what the the danger there is that the customer just has given up basically mm-hmm. they like I, you know i i'm not gonna i never found i've gone there three or four times and never found anything so mm-hmm. i don't go back anymore mm-hmm. right and a- after you lose them you have to reacquire that customer right? right and so you know that means that your emails are going to fall on deaf ears your right you know you know tv ads all of that stuff you know kind of disappears right. so you know it's not insurmountable but it's it's certainly now a bigger problem that mm-hmm. you have to get them to come back to the store yeah one thing that is unique about this company compared to you know what we what we looked at last time several companies like for example sketchers or canada goose is that this company is a holdings company right it has victoria's secret pink bath and body works and so and so on do you think there's any tangible kind of um, competitive advantage that you get from being a holding company you know any any sort of like cost cutting measurement or any, anything of that sort no, not really. I mean, not in this space. You mm-hmm. know, I think what you benefit from here is 
you can maybe have shared warehousing space, you know, mm-hmm. so you can reduce some of the costs there. You can maybe have some uh, additional benefits from supplier, you know, to to uh, stores, but you know, they're supplying their own store, mm-hmm. so they can't go to a Walmart or someone and say, "Hey, we're really big. We have all this thing. You know, these things give us." premium shelf space or or what have you Mm -hmm. so i i don't see a whole lot of benefit from having aggregated multiple brands there right there's no real um you know there's some benefit but not not a tremendous amount Mm -hmm. but you know i I think just to kind of give you an idea of how 2018 kind of hemorrhaged uh (laughs) you know their their customer base Uh you know their comp sales so comp comp sales is the comparative sales. So if a store has been open last year, you compare it to this year's sales. And their sales decreased only 2%. Mm. But their operating uh, income declined by 50%. What? That's crazy. Yeah. So What we, happened? So what they are doing is essentially saying the re- merchandise doesn't re- resonate with the customer. Let's discount it because that's the only way we're going to get rid of this mm. uh inventory and then by by discounting it what they've essentially done is they've made um you know they cannibalize their own product Mm -hmm. so their gross margin drops then their operating income you know gets hemorrhaged now it's there there's more to it than than just that it's not just the merchandise that's Mm -hmm. causing that they're increasing uh operating income to staff up for china and you know these other things Mm -hmm. but i you know i find that interesting that Wow. When you look at their their college brand, it pink declined by mid single digits on a comp sales basis, right? Wow. That's a fairly significant, you know, yep. decline. Um when you when you look at Ulta, they were having comparable sales store growth of positive 8 to 10 to 12%, mm-hmm. and these guys are losing 6 to 8 to 10%. Um you know, Victoria's Secret Beauty lost double digit comparable store sales right Jeez. so it's it's just a it's not resonating with the the customer mm. now you look at bath and body works you know so i mean this is the tale of two cities essentially mm. um comparable sales increased 11 percent uh and operating income increased 13 percent mm. their direct channel sales which is their online sales grew 30 oh, percent wow. now it's a much smaller part of it right and they said that the Specifically, the stores that they remodeled had huge uh, sales growth, mm. right? So, you know, one of the benefits of not co-branding Bath and Body Works and Victoria's Secret is, you know, if they rolled Bath and Body Works into Victoria's Secret, you may dilute the good brand uh, with the bad one, right? Right? Um, yeah. So this, there, there is some benefit there. Yeah. To keeping them separate. Right. Yeah. This is kind of crazy that Victoria's Secret, the operating, uh, the operating margin went down fifty percent. That's insane. That's pretty crazy. And at the same time, Bath and Body Works went up, you know, quite a bit. Um, 13%, 11%, like you mentioned. Wow, interesting. Very interesting. Um, So I guess it makes sense to kind of separate them out. And to me, when you said, you know, Tell It Two Cities, it almost reminded me of kind of a, you know, spinoff strategy, potentially down the road. You know, just as, you know, thinking about the corporate structure, thinking about strategy as an investor and therefore as an operator. You kind of think about what is the maximum way to return shareholders, you know, to give shareholders the maximum value. If Bath and Body Works is doing well and Victoria's Secret is lagging, lagging a little bit, maybe it's time to 
spin off some things. I, I don't know. It's just a, it's just a, a thought that came into my mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we we as as investors would want them to take the tarnished brand and separate it from the the good brand, right? right? So spin off one of one of them and keep the other. And and that way you can let the good brand shine, right? And then you know focus on fixing Victoria's Secret. Now they have their own management, you know Bath and Body Works and mm-hmm. Victoria's Secret does. So you know, but what's resonating with the customer is the smaller company, the more agile, you know, business. Yep. Um, that's more differentiated, I think, in in some ways. So right. Um, you know, I I think it's not. This is not dire straits for for them, right? Um, well, until we start talking about their debt levels, <laughs> then then we'll have more to discuss there. But, yeah. you know, just to give you some more kind of uh, color on on operating income for, you know, from the this. So in 2016, their adjusted operating income. So this is adjusting for one time things and so forth. 2016, 2.03 billion uh, and adjusted net income, 1.09 billion. So adjusted earnings per share was three dollars and seventy four cents. So fast forward to twenty eighteen, so four you know one point four billion down from two point oh billion in twenty sixteen for an operating income, one point oh billion down to uh, seven hundred and eighty million for net income, and you know adjusted earnings per share down from three dollars and seventy four cents to two dollars and eighty two cents. So you know wow you essentially cut off you know, a third of their sales or, or a third of their profit mm-hmm. um, by having, I'm uh, sorry, 25% of their sales by having, you know, this missteps that they've had, you know, in the last three years. Mm-hmm. It's a, and it ta- they take a fairly significant haircut as a result. So, right. you know, they're propping up sales, but I, I would say w- to what benefit are you doing that, right? Your merchandise is not resonating with the customer, doing a huge discount may bring them in for a little while but it's not really fixing the problem it's just a a salve right you're right it's just a temporary a, measure yeah it's just a kind of a band-aid solution for this problem it sounds like yeah yeah and uh, we'll we'll talk more about kind of the financials and and in that aspect kind of the inventory management because once you'll see a lot of companies that i've seen i've seen a lot of companies where when the company is not selling you know when the company's not doing so hot the inventory starts starts building up and they have to discount all their inventory out to just clear them away in the inventory and having a lot of inventory like having you know very clean inventory management is very very important for retail and i, I just wonder what that looks like um for victoria's secret and pink you know we'll, we'll talk more about that but let's go back to our discussion about competitive advantage here do you see any, I guess, um, so the next qu- next uh, question in the value investors checklist here, also b- before I move on, before we move on, if you don't have the value investors checklist, please email us at info at valueinvestor.org, info at valueinvestor.org, or reach us, uh, reach us out, uh, reach out to us on Twitter, our Twitter handle, valueinvestortv. Okay, let's get back to, to the checklist. Um, so how durable is the competitive advantage? I think we kind of talked about that. Um, but if you want to add a few words here, uh, Hari. So I, I, you know, I, I would say that it, Bath & Body Works, I think, is doing well, has a good competitive advantage because they're able to continue to uh, get their customers to come in 
Um, I, d- I don't think Victoria's Secret is actually quite as bad as it sounds. I think the problem that they have, because they're, you know, their direct sales are still continuing to grow, 16% uh, a year and 30% for uh, Bath and Body Works. So it's just they're they're changing and this transition for them from you know a retail store to an online re- and plus retail is is painful mm-hmm. and i think they need to be more aggressive if they can, if they can to shut down these stores mm-hmm. uh you know but right now it's you know there's there's certainly a lot of things in doubt about their competitive advantage and right. that durability so and i think there's lots of risks there mm-hmm. right that this continues to erode further right right you know yeah. So let's let's move on to the next question, which is what is the company's long-term prospects and runway for growth? So you mentioned, you know, expanding into China and different areas, obviously that's a room for growth right there. But what does it look like um I guess for the entire company? Well, so I I think this is a this is kind of where we need to start talking about how how would you capitalize that growth right mm-hmm. i mean right now your biggest problem is that your customer is not coming into the store mm-hmm. do you really want to focus on growth at this point and you know it maybe the international market will be a savior for you um but you know it's very small right now compared to the uh you know the overall business international is actually losing money mm. um on an operating income basis um and you know, you know it it's an order of magnitude, you know, or several orders of magnitude larger. So I, I think you got to fix whatever is going on. And that means you're probably going to be shrinking your sales um, to fix, you know, fix some of this overhead that you have um, that's, you know, weighing down on your, you know, your profit right now. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, growth at what cost, right, is the question. Growth at you know, growth at what cost, right? Or you, yeah. if you're growing just to grow, you know, it's not really doing any favor for your shareholders. And I wonder because of this, uh, you know, because of this, I wonder what the incentive structure looks like, but we'll talk about that in just a bit. All right, let's move on to the next question, which is, does the company require a lot of capital reinvestment to maintain its business? Can it grow without any further reinvestment? Well, I, I don't think that's the case. I mean, um, you know, when we look at their capital expenditures, they're going to spend about five, six hundred million dollars a year to to remodel, you know, and maintain their stores. So there's definitely mm. a lot of that that they have to worry about. I but I think the bigger problem for them is, you know, you still have to understand, you know, you have to fix the business, right? I think that's the the thing right now. And you know, when we talk about their finances, we're going to see that they have quite a lot of debt already Mm. and so i think the survivability is not you know if they're not threatened right now but in the next few years it may be become a problem um and if their operating income continues to decline they may not get favorable terms for for their debt you know uh, for you know uh, renegotiating debt and that kind of thing um or may not be able to pay it off so i i would be concerned about that kind of stuff right um right now and yep. let's not worry about, you know, reinvesting to grow or reinvesting to, you know, what do you need to do to maintain and what do you need to do to, to benefit your uh, going forward? Right, right. Yeah. Again, going back to the question of, you know, long-term growth, 
I guess uh, you know the growth, growth at what cost? And right now, the problem at hand is is fixing the business, like you mentioned. You know, expanding yeah. into other markets and things like that. It's important, but um, right now, fixing the business is, is is a is a problem of a of a higher higher order, higher magnitude. And for this uh, for this company, it looks like. All right. The next question we have on our checklist is: the company does the company have favorable relationships with the following? Uh, customer, suppliers, employees, regulators, and community. Any outstanding issues there, Hari? So, you know, I, I think the, obviously, Beth, Bath & Body Works, I didn't say Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> uh, Bath & Body Works is the is doing well, mm-hmm. and I think they have good relationships, and, you know, they understand their customer. I'm worried about that from a Victoria's Secret standpoint. Uh-huh. But, I, you know, these other questions, suppliers, employers, you know, they're not a regulated business. I'm not too concerned about that stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think there's, you know, if, if you're a shareholder here, you have to really ask yourself, what is going to be, what is this company going to look like in two or three years, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, these kind of things, you know, I, I think a, a good good example of this, you know, was uh, GNC, you know, they kind of had a very similar story uh, about they loaded up on debt. They were using it to do a share buyback. And the stock price went from like $60 a share to like $3 a share in about oh, a gosh. two or three year period. And because there was concerns about their ability to pay down debt. Um, and, you know, they had similar kind of ratios, you know, that, that you know, Victoria's Secret Bath and Body Works has. Now, the difference is that Victoria's Secret is the only problem here bath and body works is doing well so could they could they sell bath and body works to get you know to another uh, company and then you know kind of fix this we're gonna have to it's gonna be a wait and see you know i think for for me right now Mm -hmm. yeah it's very interesting i think one of the reasons why one of our listeners suggested this was because the stock price uh, precipitously dropped uh, the last two years or so Uh, so um it def- it's definitely, you know, I think that's a good habit, right? If a stock price goes down precipitously, you got to question this, but it's also a good opportunity to take a look. And if, if there's a good deal, it's, it's, you know, it's a way to become a good value investor is by looking at the discounted, discounted companies, but not necessarily discounted if the company's not doing so well. So it's always important to, you know, dig deep into those things. Well, and I, I think the other thing here is, you know, just as, as investors, you know, you're going to read a lot of annual reports that you're never going to invest in those companies, right? I, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what the ratio is exactly. It may be a hundred to one. It may be five hundred to one. Uh, it may be less. You know, but really, every time you pick up one of these annual reports, I learn something, right? Oh, I, yeah. I, I'm telling you, at, at you know, I've read, I can't, you know, countless number of retail companies even. And every time I read it, I'm I'm amazed that I've learned something new, right? And so I, I would say every time you see something, you see the price drop, and you go and investigate, come at it with an open mind, learn as much as you can from that, because it may not apply to this business that you may not invest in, but you will find yourself using that knowledge somewhere else. And I think it's very valuable to, to run this exercise, right? Absolutely. And that's why we're here for you guys. You know, we are doing it our, for our own benefit, but also for the community so that you guys can follow along and learn with us as we try to become better value investors. All right. Um, I think uh, this is good for now uh, for this episode. Anything you want to add hard before we close this episode out? 
No, I think um, you know. I think we we got pretty much everything uh, covered here. Mm. But le- um, you know, we're going to talk a lot more about financials and uh, management and valuation for a business like this. Um, so hope to see you on the next one. All right. Stick around, guys. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you. Thanks.